All right. We are back with another CFPs that stack and the thought process of the podcast for those that are maybe tuning in for the first time, it's having conversations with folks in the kind of traditional financial uh, planning space or folks that are working um, tangentially with advisors and uh, special guest today. So another uh, Indiana connection. And I, I would tell people, you know, the Bitcoin uh, presence in Indiana is stronger than, than many would think. Um, but Matt Golliger uh, is a financial advisor at Vista Investment Partners. He's a Bitcoin advocate. And we were just talking, he had a, an event last night, and I want him to kind of share a little bit about that here in a second. And he's recently helped along with uh, you know others within the team pivot Vista to be, be more Bitcoin focused as an RIA, which is incredible. And the team view Bitcoin as a big part of the financial advice and guidance uh, you know ecosystem and space into the future. And that's why they're really wanting to embrace it and uh, move forward with that. So with that introduction, Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So I want to get to like the Bitcoin origin story, why someone that's a financial advisor would even like want to touch Bitcoin or talk about it. But let's talk about last night. Um, just share a little bit about what you did, why, what the audience maybe looked like and what the reception was. Yeah, sure. The, the challenge that I and my firm have been in for the last couple of years is that we um, fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but we're not yet allowed to talk about it or advocate for it in the way that we wanted to. And it took about two years, but we finally solved that Rubik's Cube. And so for the first time, we were able to do something like a Bitcoin seminar. So we had our first one last night. And it was a Bitcoin 101. Uh, it was designed for complete beginners who know nothing. And the goal was to give them a decent grasp of all the core concepts of what Bitcoin is, how it works, and why it's important. But it's also meant to um, be additive or valuable for someone who is somewhat familiar with Bitcoin. Um, so that's what I attempted to do with it. And uh with uh, with doing that the first time, uh, our mindset was let's uh, get it out there and see who shows up. And uh, we we ended up having a good attendance, and it was a very good event. It went well. Can you talk a little about like the average age? Kind of who who showed up? Who was interested in it? I would say um, the majority of uh, majority of attendees were over the age of fifty five or sixty. Um, there were a handful of, of younger people, younger adults, but um, most of the people there were um, in retirement or approaching retirement age, I would say. Yeah. And I, I would say just from my seat uh, at Swan, I've had a lot more conversations than what I think many traditional advisors would think of, of people that are interested in Bitcoin that are similar situation, right? We have lots of conversations around you know Bitcoin and retirement plans or how to think about Bitcoin as I get closer to retirement or, Hey, I'm going to be retiring in a couple of years. I want to get a Bitcoin allocation, how to think about it. And again, my role at Swan is not given, you know, financial advice, investment advice, but it's kind of framing like how to do it. Um, who do they want to talk to? But it's interesting because I've had more than one conversation with people that are telling me that they're frustrated with, you know, the comments, the eye rolls, the just like, uh, we're not going to talk about that again. Like the Bitcoin conversation where they, they blow it off yet. You are kind of leaning into that. I know there's other firms that are leaning into that and they're seeing, you know, some growth and some good things going on, um, which is encouraging. And I think early adopters sometimes look like they're wrong until all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, huh, maybe they, they were on to something. And so mm -hmm. with that, um, we're going to agree on a lot of stuff today. And I've had different guests on the show that are, you know, 
probably more neutral or negative to Bitcoin. And I've tried to, to balance that some. Um, but I wanted to kind of get your origin story. You know, you, you were a financial advisor, you found Bitcoin. How did that all come together? Do you think there was anything that, you know, predisposed you to that? Did you, were you interested in something that, you know, was, was a telltale sign that, you know, Bitcoin was going to be on the radar? Did it just kind of fall in your lap through a relationship? Someone mentioned it. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, I was, um, you could call it uh, perfectly primed to understand Bitcoin. So much so that I am a little bewildered and frustrated that I didn't discover it before I did. Um, in college, I read um, Austrian economics on my own, um, Hayek and Mises. Um, I was a big Ayn Rand fan. Um, so I read all of that. Uh, I read The Creature from Jekyll Island when I was a freshman in college. Um, so, you know, singing to preaching to the normal choir. reading. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I learned my Keynesian economics at, uh, at college. Um, but on my own time, I was already pretty well versed with Austrian economic concepts. None of that was new to me. And then I started my career in 2014. Um, and it wasn't until 2017, at least that I can remember where Bitcoin really first popped onto my radar. Um, because of the massive price run that had occurred that year. And that was the first time that clients started asking me about Bitcoin. So I uh, I looked into it. Uh, I did spend some time researching it, but the challenge for me in hindsight was almost every resource that I came across was a crypto resource. And at that time, I don't know if you remember uh, Crypto Kitties on Ethereum. <laughs> Uh, I went down and you, I read all about that. And, you know, you see all these digital tokens with cartoon labels and everything. And so after several hours, I just kind of says, all right, I, I know what this is. I've seen this before. Um, and essentially just told clients that Bitcoin was digital beanie babies. It was a bubble, not a sound investment, not a place to silence that, not a place to uh, store long-term wealth. Uh, or anything like that. And then, uh, of course, at the end of that year, um, the price crashed. I declared victory. I was like, okay, I was right. And then kind of forgot about it for a year or two. Um, for four or five years, for about five years, I uh, was an advisor with two different bank programs. And at the end of 2019, um, Brett Guiley, our managing partner, called me and uh, asked if it made sense to have a conversation about me joining Vista. And, uh, and uh, so I said, uh, yeah, sure. And we talked about it and ended up, uh, it made a lot of sense for various reasons. I had decided that um, being an advisor in a bank channel has a lot of different challenges and I wanted something different. So decided to make the move. And my first day at Vista was March 23rd of 2020 which was the bottom of the S&P 500 COVID crash and the day that Indiana shut everything down. So I had some time on my hands and I noticed that Bitcoin wasn't dead yet. So that's where I had the thought that I think every advisor should have, which is I need to at least read a book about this. If nothing else, just read one good book about it. And so I ordered uh, the Bitcoin standard by Safety and Amos and with all the other Austrian economics that I had read, it did not take long into that book before I realized that uh, I was very wrong. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah. 
I think similar timeframes. I was at Merrill 2017 was the first time that I think I really heard about Bitcoin a lot. Lots of questions. Again, the the funny thing that you, you declare victory, right? Like, oh, it crashed. I'm obviously right. Look at me. I'm so smart. I told you to stay away from it. Um, and then the Bitcoin standard, similar, um, other than I didn't read all the Austrian stuff that you had. I've kind of found Austrian economics through Bitcoin, which has been really great. But the book, the Bitcoin standard, uh, anyone that's actually read it that I know of, it's changed the way that they look at things, regardless of whether they are like, hey, this Bitcoin thing makes a ton of sense. It's like, huh, huh. I had someone uh, the other day as a veterinary uh, surgeon, right? And I did an event when I was still an advisor at the, the firm I used to be a part of. And uh, like I had a little giveaway at this thing. And of course, I put some Bitcoin stuff in it. And one of them was the Bitcoin standard. I told him, hey, you should read it. And I just followed up with him. And we talked recently. He's like, that really changed my perspective on everything. Yeah. And so he has a lot of questions around Bitcoin. He's like, I'm not sure I understand everything, but he wants to learn. Right. And so like it was a it was a a big moment. I think it's like hard to unsee things once you have that kind of revelation moment with with Bitcoin. And uh, I certainly felt that with the Bitcoin standard. Yeah, I think um, that book will be remembered, I think, is one of the most important books for adoption, at least in the U.S., I think, because the majority of advisors that I've talked to who who get it. Um, I would say most of them have a similar story to what I just said, which is, you know, I dismissed it in 2017. I read the Bitcoin standard a few years later and uh, changed my mind. Can you talk a little about the the pivot with Vista of like how you've leaned in more into Bitcoin? Um, you can get as granular or as high level as you want to share from that standpoint, because I do think more firms are going to want to do this. And this could be a really helpful little tidbit of like what you all have thought about um, tools or conversations. Um, yeah, just anything you want to share. Yeah. So as, uh, as you can imagine, once, you know, once you see it, uh, you can't unsee it. So as a financial advisor, once I realized that Bitcoin is in my opinion, the most important monetary innovation that will happen in my career, I can't not incorporate it into my business or my practice. Um, so I started going about trying to find out how to do that and quickly ran into a brick wall, which uh, the first one was we're a duly registered firm. So we have a, um, a broker dealer registration and uh, the broker dealer's policy at the time was you cannot talk about Bitcoin. Uh, if clients ask about it, you are to say no comment. And that was uh, a hard stop for a while. Eventually, um, we changed broker-dealers. We interviewed a lot of them, and we finally found one. We didn't need one that understood it. We just needed one not not to interfere with the Bitcoin things we wanted to do in the RIA. And so we found one. We migrated broker-dealers, which was a uh, not a fun process, uh, as, yep. as everyone who's moved firms knows. Um, and then uh, on the advice of legal counsel, uh, we also, we're searching for an ENO policy that would cover advice around Bitcoin. That that took a while too. The that space is still, I think, trying to get its arms around that. But we found that, and then uh, we had to figure out from a compliance perspective how to move forward with that. And one of the challenges with that is that um, we uh, previously we were registered uh, under uh, Oklahoma RIA, our sister. Um, office in Oklahoma. And we're, uh, you know, our Indiana office, we're the, we're the Bitcoiners, I guess you could say. 
And um, for various reasons, uh, we just, as far as how we want, wanted to grow the different businesses, uh, we had two different strategies. So with what we wanted to do with Bitcoin and uh, what they're already doing with everything that, that they have, uh, we decided it made sense to create our own RIA, move the headquarters to Richmond. And that way, everything that we wanted to do as far as Bitcoin goes, uh, we didn't have to relay that through someone who doesn't have a deep understanding of it yet and would allow us to run that part of the business as we saw fit. And then the last piece of the puzzle after doing that was getting a compliance team that that understood, and we found that as well. So those are, I would say, the four main pieces that we had to cobble together as far as uh, being able to hit the ground running and do what do what we want to do. Yeah, and I know it's newer. So how do you how do you talk to clients today about Bitcoin, or like how does it get brought up? Do you just say, "Hey, what questions do you have? We think everyone should have an allocation." We think it's important to chat. Like, what what do those conversations look like? So, for an advisor that maybe hasn't ever had those conversations, how would you suggest approaching it? I always lead with education. Um, I no matter how great a, an asset, no matter how great I think an asset is, I don't think anyone should own something that they don't understand because they won't hold it the way that they should if they don't understand it. So, uh, for a client who is new to Bitcoin, doesn't know much about it, I never recommend that they buy some of it. I recommend that they learn about it. And for for some of them, um, they're not as receptive to it. Um, and, you know, we talk about that and we try to educate around that. But for others who get interested, that's when we move on to the conversation as far as uh, potentially whether an allocation would make sense for them and if they're ready for that. And so that that's how I approach it to to start with is that I recommend everyone at least learn what it is. And then, then once people are ready, that that's when I move on to the allocation discussion. Yeah. What do you, what do you think uh, Bitcoin fixes? Like why? So I'll have advisors say like, why do I need to do Bitcoin stocks and bonds work works well enough for our clients. They accomplish their goals life is fine. Why add extra complexity? Why add the risk? Why do this and that? What do you think Bitcoin solves? Like what, what does it fix? It's a couple of different things I would say. Um, you know, diversification is a virtue in our industry and for good reason, because it helps spread out risk for clients. But in my opinion, no matter how many different kinds of stocks and bonds you own, their cash flows, their value is based on their fiat cash flow. And if every asset that you own is a derivative of fiat currency, then you are not properly diversified because your net worth has a single point of failure. So one thing that Bitcoin solves is it provides exposure to an asset that is not reliant on future fiat cash flows like stocks and bonds are. But the other thing that it solves, I think, is that for the first time in 50 years, there's a meaningful distinction again between saving and investing. And those two things have become conflated um, over the last couple of decades because long-term saving is a losing strategy. Um, everyone knows, you know, if you have a million bucks, you don't just let it sit there in the bank. That's a bad idea. And even if they don't, you know, fully understand the, the financial reasons for it, everyone just intuitively understands, well, I've got to do something with this. and. Now, clients have 
a alter have an alternative to taking on investment risk where the way i look at it an investment uh, is fundamentally different from saving and exchange rate risk like you see with bitcoin is not the same as taking an investment risk so I would say the majority of clients I've worked with in my careers are not really investors. They're savers. They're, they're not people who are looking for areas to deploy capital at risk in order to empower economic activity, which is what an investor is. They're people who are trying to hold on to their purchasing power and retire someday. And Bitcoin for them is the more appropriate vehicle, although it It'll take time to educate them on why that is and, and help them understand that. So those those are the two big things I would say it fixes. Yep, I think that's great. Um, do you believe in the idea of diminishing returns in Bitcoin? So the way that I look at this is people will look and say, hey, you know, Bitcoin's had these crazy price runs. That's fine. I can't use that as I look forward into Bitcoin. Um, but then I think about adoption. And so I'm curious, this has been a topic that I've, batted around with Bitcoin colleagues, with folks that are not interested in Bitcoin. How do you think about diminishing returns in Bitcoin? The way I think about it is I, I think you'll see, um, I mean, kind of the classic S curve shape where, you know, you'll, you'll have big spikes followed by leveling off periods and followed by other spikes. And, um, you know, of course, eventually there's, there is a theoretical maximum where, um, you know, Bitcoin becomes the world reserve currency, everyone uses it, um, then, you know, there's not going to be those gains from adoption. But in that scenario, I would expect Bitcoin's purchasing power to increase at the rate of innovation. And that could still increase and decrease in S-curves based on the innovation of human activity. So, yeah, I would say um, we've seen the diminishing returns over the last few cycles, but I don't think that because of that, that's what we should expect um, moving forward. I I fully expect whether it's this cycle or the, or the cycle after or whenever, that there will be one that breaks that pattern. And uh, and then we'll have, uh, we'll have a new way to look at it. But yeah, until now, people just see the, you know, the lower peaks or the lower compound annual growth rates each cycle, and they just assume that that's going to continue. But I, I don't think that's the case necessarily. I would agree. And I think it's partially because we're coming at it from a you know traditional investment uh, mindset where you look at smaller companies that are high growth, you know, Tesla before it became big, even though Tesla's returns have still been good. Apple, same thing. Like the, eventually the law of large numbers says they can't grow as fast, but Bitcoin's still so small. I agree with you a hundred percent that I think some of the highest returning days in, in Bitcoin's history will be actually in the future, which is a little bit of a mind meld if mm. you, you think about it. But you mentioned cycles. Um, for those that aren't maybe as familiar, can you talk about like what what's a Bitcoin cycle? Maybe they know about like an economic cycle, but talk to me a little about Bitcoin cycles. Yeah, sure. What does so, that mean? So one of the um, interesting things about Bitcoin is the way that its issuance schedule works. So there's a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin, which are each subdividable into 100 million subunits called Satoshis. So there's a hard limit of 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis. That's the maximum amount of Bitcoin that will ever exist. But it didn't all get issued on day one. The way that Bitcoin's creator Satoshi set it up is that roughly every 10 minutes, uh, there would be new Bitcoin issued to 
a Bitcoin miner who validates the update to the shared Bitcoin ledger. And it started with whoever won the right to do that would win 50 Bitcoin. But there's something built into Bitcoin's protocol called the halving, where every 210,000 blocks, that gets cut in half. So it started at 50, then it went to 25 in 2012, then in 2016, it went to 12 and a half, and then in 2020, it went to six and a quarter. And in April of next year, 2024, it'll go to three and an eighth. So we're in the uh, situation now where 93% of all Bitcoin that will ever exist has been issued, and it'll take about a century to issue the rest. And because of that, so far at least, Bitcoin's price has tended to follow these four-year cycles where every four years um, on the have or at the halving, you get uh, essentially a supply shock where the amount of new Bitcoin that is being sold into the market, at least from mining activity, gets cut in half. So under the assumption that demand remains constant, that implies that price discovery needs to seek upward in order to find a new equilibrium. And so when Bitcoiners talk about cycles, they're usually talking about that four-year cycle that, that Bitcoin has followed, at least so far in its history. Excellent. That's so well put. Um, and yeah, it's a little different than kind of the economic cycles where people talk about, hey, it's you know eight years or 10 years with you know the boom bust kind of cycles and, and things that are out there. But um, what do you think is most underappreciated about Bitcoin in the minds of an advisor today in the conversation that you've had? It's distinction from crypto, I would say. Um, part of the reason I say that is um, yeah, I mentioned that as as primed as someone could be to understand Bitcoin, I, I was right up there. Um, you know, I didn't need convinced about any of the underlying economic theories. I was, I was on board already. Um, and I still dismissed Bitcoin the first time I heard of it. And the reason is because I couldn't see through the crypto haze. Um, and so that cost me three years as someone who had already spent an enormous amount of time studying the underlying economics. So for someone who hasn't done that, um, it's understandable to me that the attitude of uh, a lot of advisors is to just lump Bitcoin in with NFTs and FTX and you know all the other um, all the other stuff that they very reasonably dismiss because it's uh, not a, a sound financial instrument. So I, I think that's the biggest one. Yep, uh, I would agree. I'll, I'll hear a lot of people say like, oh, I've been in crypto for a long time and Bitcoin. I'm like, well, I'm going to stop you there because yeah. I, I know where you're coming from. And if you can't make that distinction, it's like a, it's it's such a huge leap and there's such a, a big move forward once someone gets the distinction. Uh, and there's tons of people that still are in industry that still conflate like, oh, crypto adoption and Bitcoin. They'll be like, oh, look at crypto adoption. They're talking about Bitcoin. I'm like, it's not the same thing. And, you know, a lot of times what I'll see is if you're inexperienced, it makes sense where you're coming in and similar to kind of the way that we were back, let's say in 2017, you just don't know the difference. There's others that know the difference and they still do it. And I think that's the most dangerous part is there's a lot of, uh, you know, distinction, some education, 
some companies that have Bitcoin products and crypto products and all these different things. And they try to bring them all together. And it's like, no, they are very, they are very different, but they, they like to talk about them together. So um, I, I view crypto for most of it as being, hey, this is going to be VC backed, uh, a lot of zeros, a lot of heartache, unless you're on the inside you're going to get just dumped on when they want to get exit liquidity and it's going to be painful. And yes, sure. They spend a lot of money on marketing or they make some pretty graphics, but it's, it's not anything that you actually want to touch. And I do think the advisors that try to grow into like a crypto uh, RIA are going to end up with a lot of lawsuits. And I don't view the RIAs that adopt Bitcoin and do it responsibly in a way where they're not trying to, you know, say like, Hey, you know, Matt and Isaiah's conviction is really high. Our Bitcoin allocation is probably a lot higher than a lot of clients, right? Much higher because we, sure. we have a feeling of where we think it goes. We're comfortable with it, but it, we're not, we, you can't just talk to a client that's heard about Bitcoin for an hour and say, yeah, you should have X amount of allocation. It takes time. So I think doing it responsibly, you're not going to run into that many issues. I think the only wrong allocation of Bitcoin for any individual is zero. And then you have to have the conversation, right? Know the person's circumstances, know their goals, know all that stuff that advisors know. Then you can help them find like, what is the right allocation? Because a small single digit percentage allocation to Bitcoin should not ruin someone's financial plan if it doesn't perform like we believe it does or does the things that we think it will do. So yeah, absolutely. This is a question that I've had posed to me a couple of times. And I'm always curious with other kind of folks that have spent a lot of time thinking about Bitcoin, how they answer it. And it's, how does Bitcoin fail in your mind? One way is that um, the current monetary system is able to pull some rabbit out of the hat and um, levelize the situation that it's in and embrace uh, sound fiscal policy and sound monetary policy. Um, in other words, Bitcoin fails when the need for it goes away. So that's one way. Um, I, I don't think most people would disagree that that's very unlikely. Um, and in some ways, um, not possible, just mathematically. Um, that's why I say pull a rabbit out of a hat, because um, history is pretty clear where this story ends up. Um, in terms of debt, um, deficits, and everything else that we're seeing in, in sovereign debt and everything. Um, other than that, in broadly speaking, I'm I'm fairly convinced that um, the genie's out of the bottle. Um, you know, Bitcoin is uh, it's here to stay. But if it did fail, and I had to look back and see how it failed, the most likely scenario. I would say would probably be because um, I think it would have to be a, a joint coordinated international military operation um, in order to secure uh, over 51% of the hash rate and perform a coordinated attack, whether that's an empty block attack or, or something else. Um, you know, 10 years ago, they could have done that. Maybe. I'm not convinced today they could pull it off, even if they threw everything they had at it. But if Bitcoin were to die or fail, um, that, as far as I can see, is the um, most plausible reason, I would say. Yep. It's interesting because I think, you know, if you have 
spent enough time in Bitcoin and have thought about it a lot. Um, it's not a guarantee that it works. And if it was, it certainly wouldn't be trading at, you know, call it 38, 39, 37, 36, whatever it is at the time this comes out um, soon after we record it. From a price perspective, it would be much, 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 much higher, right? So like you have a lot of the uncertainty baked into where it's at today from a from a price perspective. Uh, what do you say to advisors that push back and say, well, shoot, people just talk about price all the time. Why does the price even matter if, if it's all about this, you know, fixing the money and the price and all these different things? What do you, how do you address that when people are like, I go on Twitter and I just see these random anonymous laser eye accounts just like championing, you know, this growth of the price? Why does that matter? It matters for a few reasons. Um, maybe the most obvious one is that that is what gets people's attention. Um, and in my opinion, that is what drives the adoption cycles. Um, because it's hard when Bitcoin goes up by 5x or 10x and it's on the news and everyone's talking about it. A lot of a lot of times that's what gets someone to notice it seriously for the first time and say, all right, what is this thing? And some of those people um, get it and they don't leave. They stay. So that's the first thing I would say is uh, prices, just like it or not, it's very significant for adoption and it's the primary driver of adoption. But the other reason is because Bitcoin as a tool, as a money, becomes more useful and more valuable as the total mon monetary value goes up. And that, that happens for a lot of different reasons. But one is that there are pools of capital that can't even look at Bitcoin until it reaches a sufficient size. Um, you know, you can't put $10 billion or $100 billion into something that uh, the total supply is worth $500 billion. You can't do it. Um, but when, as Bitcoin gets to, you know, $10 trillion, $100 trillion, um, the largest pools of capital can make sizable allocations because there's that depth of liquidity in order for them to be able to do that. So that that's the other reason I would say is that it, it just gets more useful, um, not only as a way to store value, but as a means of economic exchange, where the more value that there is in Bitcoin, the more uh, capacity that it has to for people to send that value, you know, back and forth. For example, if you wanted to send, um, uh, let's just say uh, you wanted to send five hundred billion dollars in Bitcoin, how would you do that? Um, well, you you really can't. Um, so as as the total value goes up, the feasibility of sending higher and higher amounts of value also goes up. Um, there's a there's a correlation there. So those those are the two I would say. Um, it gets more useful and it drives adoption. That's why price is important, like it or not. Sure. Yeah. Amen to that. I totally agree. Um, anything that I haven't asked about Bitcoin that you think is really important for advisors to understand? Yeah, I would say. Um, and it's a point that I try to drive home to advisors that um, sort of a play on another phrase, but you may not care about Bitcoin, but Bitcoin cares about you. What I mean by that is you don't have to care about Bitcoin as an asset or as an opportunity for your business, but you better care about it as a competitor to your business. What I mean by that is that 
if we're honest with ourselves as wealth managers, financial advisors, um, a lot of what we do for a living is only necessary because the money bleeds value every year. Because like I mentioned before, if someone's got a million bucks, intuitively they know I have to do something with this. I can't just let it sit there. And the reason is because if they do, they're going to lose purchasing power every year. So they know that they have to do something with it. And a lot of those people need professional help to do that, which is why we have jobs. When the money does not bleed value every year, but accretes value because of its scarcity and because of the innovation of mankind, as we develop new technologies and get better and more efficient at producing valuable goods and services, for the first time in a long time, every one of our clients has a viable alternative to working with us, which is just hold hard money. And along those same lines, another thing I tell advisors is um, your clients will learn about Bitcoin from someone, even whether it's you or somebody else. And uh, even if you ha aren't talking about it, you have clients who already own it. So that that would be the one thing I think that um, I try to emphasize because I, I don't hear it very much. Uh, not the opportunity that Bitcoin represents for advisors, but the threat of not adopting it. Um, yeah, so. I think it's extremely well put in the idea of um, you know, putting money to work is so stupid. <laughs> you already worked for the money, right? And I've right. taught myself, I've said that so many times throughout my yeah. uh, life. And it's like, but why, you know, be like the the little, like I have a four-year-old, right? Be, be the four-year-old. Like, why, why doesn't the money, why can't I just earn it and keep it? And you're yeah, like, why oh. to earn it twice. Yeah. And so like, just fundamentally, we just accept these things. And, and instead we should be saying like, why is that? And you know, there's, there's lots of different people that will be, you know, apologists for the current system that will say, well, this is the way it is. And this is why it's good. And we need this or that. It's like, mm, okay. You know, I don't, I don't know if I buy that for sure, but um, yeah. And I think that's where like this whole Keynesian versus Austrian economic uh, theory. And if more advisors and they just taught in colleges, I think we would be much better off, right. If people had some different frame to look at this from, because so many people have just been taught one way and it's like that, if you kind of break it down, doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, just the idea, just how well Keynesian propaganda has done at just instilling the indelible axiom in people's brains that inflation, a little bit of inflation is necessary. You know, of course it can get too high, but you know, what we can't have is falling prices that that's horrible for everybody. Um, that's quite a trick that they played getting people to, um, believe that which which is a little um nuanced because in a debt-based fiat currency system that's actually true the system would collapse um but that's not a universal economic law handed down by god himself and you know as proof of that just think back to anyone who has ever bought a computer um even though the price of compute and data storage continues to fall every year People buy stuff when they need it. So the idea that if prices go down, that economic activity just grinds to a halt. Um, I think if you think about it for a few minutes, you see why that 
that only ever happens in the imagination of Keynesian economists. Yeah. It's not this like doom loop where everyone um, never does anything anymore. It's like, I'm pretty sure people want to eat. Pretty sure people still (laughs) want to travel. Pretty sure people would still want to have a home. Um, They still want that home to be fixed. They'd still want to do renovations. They'd still want to, you know, do different things and that's okay. But what it would do is it would allow them to actually go back to what you talked about earlier is save. And if they want to become an investor and they want to take additional risk, they can good on them if they want to get extra returns, but they shouldn't have to, you know, put the money and the capital that they've made at risk just to sustain, just to sustain. And yeah, it's kind of wild. One, any other comments on that? Cause I'm going to change gears a little bit and kind of close, but there's something else really cool that you're working on that I want to see if you'll share. And if not, we'll just leave it as a, a little, uh, uh, plug for something that it'll come out later on, but anything else on like kind of the economic bend or, or lens? Cause again, you have a lot deeper knowledge there than, than I do for sure. Yeah, I would say, um, just one thing, just overall zooming out. If, if I had to, I guess, to summarize it, um, most people living today in their adult lives, at least have only lived under the current system where money is not tied to any sort of objective value. And that's a hard frame to break out of. And for some people, um, it seems to be almost impossible. So I I think that's one of the big challenges of getting people to understand. And one of the biggest weapons that the legacy system has to try to sway public opinion against Bitcoin, which is that. privacy, hard money, and these virtues that for hundreds of years have been, um, you know, thought of as normal and good um, are for, are now only for criminals or terrorists or money launderers or, or whatever else, because in most people's mind, money and the government are just irrevocably linked. You cannot have one that is not issued by the other. By definition, that is get you know um fraudulent or um or uh you know criminal or just you know not good in some way so i i think a, a lot of people are going to have trouble with that um just because of how well um keynesian economics has instilled that idea into the population that we need a centralized management of the money otherwise society can't function yeah, it's so backwards. Um, and you're working on something that uh, you shared. I don't know if you want to share it here or not, but it's really unique for the city. I don't know if you're able to share um, or talk about it at all, but I think this is really cool. And if not, we'll uh, I'll make sure it gets shared to this audience in the future. And so if you have to kind of be guarded on how you share it, go for it. But um, yeah, you're working on something kind of cool that I'm really really excited for yeah i I know what you're talking about um (laughs) i can't can't share details yet Um, sure i'll just say that um you know one of the one of the most exciting things to me about bitcoin is no matter which nook cranny or crevice you look in there are just bundles of untapped opportunities everywhere in every industry um and one of them that i see um you know, the last 50 years have not been kind to communities like mine, 
Richmond, Indiana is a small Midwestern city. Um, our population largely has been declining for the last four decades. Um, similar challenges of, you know, communities all around our, our part of the country. But right now, I think Bitcoin offers uh, multiple, but specifically this one, uh, Bitcoin offers a massive opportunity for the first city to take advantage of it. And uh, I see parallels in, um, you know, there's a reason why El Salvador was the first nation state to adopt Bitcoin, not France or Germany. Sure. There's, there's a reason MicroStrategy was the first publicly traded corporation to adopt Bitcoin, not Google or Apple or Facebook. And for that same reason, I think uh, the first municipality that takes advantage of the opportunity that is Bitcoin will not be Chicago or New York City or Los Angeles or Miami. It'll be a city like mine. And I'm hoping to make it mine that does it. Um, but we'll see. More to come. Um, hoping to uh, get that going in force beginning of next year is my plan. Awesome. Well, well I will look forward to to hearing about that, sharing it, and, and talking about it. But um, just in closing, uh, any advisors that want to reach out, connect, chat? Um, are you guys looking for advisors just out of curiosity? Like if I'm a kind of a Bitcoiner, like are you guys looking to grow? Um, where would you send people? Um, and uh, are you willing to chat with people on Bitcoin um, that are advisors? Yeah, sure. So the short answer is uh, absolutely we're looking for advisors. Um, we, in our opinion, Bitcoin is the best business opportunity we will ever see in our careers. And one of them, if not the biggest one for the firm, is that with what we've done and the, the last few things you know that we're completing now, um, in my opinion, we are going to become the most attractive wealth management firm for orange-pilled financial advisors to join. And our goal is to provide a home for every advisor who was in the situation we were in three years ago, where you see it, you can't unsee it. You get it, but you can't talk about it or you can't, you know, whatever other artificial barriers are put between you and doing what's in the best interest of your client in the context of Bitcoin. And um, so, yeah, we uh, we're definitely looking to talk to any advisor who's in that situation. We um, we've tried very hard to create a place for them to run their practice and help their clients uh, the right way uh, with Bitcoin. So. We are um, we're in the process uh, as far as the updated website and and everything like that. Um, we do have a temporary landing page. I I actually don't know if it's live yet, but uh, the URL. I'll share is, in the show notes. Yeah, okay. I'll share it in the show notes. So we'll make sure it's there. If it's when it's live, there'll be a list to check it out. Okay. Um, and then uh, other than that, uh, Twitter is a great place to find me. I'm at Matt Gallier. M A T T G O L L. I H E R. Um, it's a good place to connect. Uh, a lot, lot of Bitcoiners reach out to me there. That's how I met. So I've met a lot of them. Yep, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate the time, Matt, today to go through all this and share kind of the the journey, um, both on your end and also on the business side, which is super encouraging. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So before we take off, I am going to read some disclosures that I've been asked to read. And so these are going to be the most fun. So I'm going to see how how much I can get through it. So it's Vista Investment Partners is an investment advisor 
registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply any level of skill or training. The oral and written communication of an advisor provide you with information about which you determine to hire or retain an advisor. For more information, please visit uh, advisorinfo.sec.gov and search for the firm name Vista Investment Partners. And this presentation, this podcast, this content has been provided for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be legal investment advice or recommendation for any particular security strategy. The investment strategy and themes discussed herein may be unsuitable for investors to spend their specific investment objectives and financial situation. Information obtained from third-party sources is believed to be reliable, though its accuracy is not guaranteed. Opinions expressed in this commentary reflect subjective judgments of the uh, guests based on the conditions at the time of this recording. Um, Subject to change without public notice, past performance is not an indication of future results. So with that, we'll close and uh, appreciate y'all listening.